Well, welcome everybody back. Uh, hope you had a good worship time with Aaron and uh, his Connect group. Uh, so last week we started, we were talking about becoming the bride and becoming the church during changing times because, I mean, there's just absolutely no doubt about it. And I, Bob Dylan probably said it best when he said, the times they are a change in. Um, I keep I keep telling John I I'm, I should make a coronavirus playlist so that we can just like listen to it and uh, like I think number one on the playlist would be it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine by REM. Um, second one would maybe be I wish we'd all been ready the DC talk version um, and then just recently I started thinking. Probably another one on that list would be True Colors, Shining Through by Cindy Lauper, because now that all the salons are closed uh, and barbershops, I think you're going to start to see True Colors shining through. Uh, and we're going to find out a whole bunch of new hair, hair colors that have always been there. Um, so... I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm probably never going to make a coronavirus playlist because that would be really weird. But if you were going to make a coronavirus playlist, uh, what would be on it? You can post it on the comment section below. So last week we talked about how even though during these uncertain times, these changing times, some things don't change. That Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the fact of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, that Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The fact that Jesus still has all the authority the fact that Jesus will always still be with us, and the fact that our mission is still the same, obeying Christ's commands and making disciples. Also, Psalm 103.17, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those that fear him. 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, that three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. That in these times when people in our world have very little faith, very little hope, very little love, that we need to be sharing why we, so even though everything is changing, why we, we still have our faith, we still have our hope, and why our love remains strong, and that's because of Jesus who is alive and his spirit is alive within us so that we have faith, hope, and love even though there's so many without it. There's other things that don't change that the Bible talks about. In Isaiah 48, it says that the word of the Lord remains forever. In Psalm 81, 15, it says those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. The fact that hell is real, the fact that punishment does last forever, you know, and that should be motivating us to share the love of Christ with people and with those we love around us. There, there's more. Let me encourage you with this. And just, uh, just a reminder, by the way, to be encouraging one another, to, to be calling one another, checking in on one another, shooting each other a Facebook message, encouraging one another. Let me encourage you with some of this. Psalm 89.2. 
It says, your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. Isaiah 51, six. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Daniel 4.3, how great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever and his rule throughout all generations. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And then there's, there's this one. These, man, these are a couple good verses to memorize right now. So I'm challenging you. Memorize these verses. When you've memorized them, when you have them to memory, post it on, on the comments section below. Just say, I memorized it. Because these are great verses to know right now. Here's some encouragement for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever that our present troubles, they're small. They're not going to last forever. You can hold on to that. You can share that. So with God, there are some things with God that will never change. There are things that will last forever. And we can hold tight to those promises when things are changing and it feels like things won't last. But while those things will always, always, always remain the same, the world around us will always be changing. And while the message and the mission of the church never changes, the church and what it looks like can change and does change and will change. That even in the book of Acts, as you see the, the church experiencing changes, persecution is moving them out of Jerusalem and and as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people, begin joining the church. They, they have to change and deal with how the things around them are changing, how, how the things that they're used to are changing as Jewish people. In Acts 10, 28, he, he said to them, you're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Before the whole Christian thing happened, before the spirit came, before Jesus raised from the dead, Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people, they didn't even associate with each other. That had to change. Another thing that had to change was, was the idea and the tradition of circumcision. In Ephesians 2.11, it says, it, he, Paul's talking to the Gentiles. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were even called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Another verse about that is in 1 Corinthians 7, 19. He says, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing 
keeping God's commands is what counts. They, they had to change what they knew about food. In Acts 10, 11 to 15, this, this is Peter. This is happening to Peter. That he saw heaven open, something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And these were things that Jews were not allowed to be eating. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So what Peter had done his entire life, what he had been used to and what had been part of his normal devotion to God, his normal religious experience, God said, has to change. So in, in a time and in a world where everything is just changing so rapidly and, and in a time where because of what is going on, the church is changing rapidly, at least for a little while, how do we navigate these changes as a church family? How do, how, what do we do? What do we not do? In a time where so much of what we're used to doing as a church, what, what some of us have done, we're like Peter, we, we've done this all our lives. That's how, what we're used to is, it's what we've been used to is a part of how we live out our devotion to God. It, it, when that's no longer available to us, what do we do? It's an answer I, th I think we're all kind of trying to figure out right now. And I think the answer to that question is pointed to in the first Corinthians passage that we read just a couple of minutes ago. First Corinthians seven nineteen, Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Circumcision, it was the tradition for the Jews. Not being circumcised, that was the tradition for the Gentiles. Paul says the tradition doesn't really matter. What's important is God's commands. A few months ago, I went to a workshop in Columbus and it was actually put on by some of the people that do the house churches in, that Francis Chan started. Um, in San Francisco, and I had just finished reading the book, Letters to the Church, that many of us are reading. And by the way, I encourage you to keep reading the book. Just because we're not meeting together, keep reading the book. It, in fact, it may be more important to read the book now than before all this COVID-19 craziness started. Uh, if you haven't been reading it, I would, I would encourage you to pick up a copy on Amazon or let me know, text me, call me, whatever. I, we've got copies at the church. I'll deliver it to your house. I'll sit it on the porch and just run away. Uh, but, but let me bring you a copy of it. But in chapter nine of the book, he talks about how their church are a bunch of house churches and how that works, how they do these house churches. Again, it might be a really good chapter to read right now since we're all trying to figure out how do we do church in our house. And just so much of that book, 
was very eye-opening to me. God really weighed it heavy on me to learn about what they were doing in their churches to be closer to the church that we see in the Bible and to see how we could translate that into our traditional church context. Little did I know that it was gonna be more relevant than and so much faster than I ever expected. I'm just so glad Jesus spoke to me when he did so that we could all kind of get a jump start on it on thinking these things through about what it is to become the bride from the onset of the year, we'd already been thinking through these things before all this corona craziness started. But the one thing that we did at the workshop, which relates to us today, and the verse that we read about circumcisions, nothing uncircumcisions, nothing, keeping the commands of God, that's what's important. In that... <laughs> workshop, we took this big giant whiteboard, we split it in half, and on one side we wrote what God's commands were. On the other side, we wrote a bunch of traditions that we hold as believers and as the church. And it wasn't that one side was bad and the other side was good. It wasn't that one side was godly and one side was from the devil. It was just that for the church, what's important what doesn't change, what we have to be about is the commands of God. And what is less important, what can change, are our traditions. And that God gives us all kinds of freedom as to what church is supposed to look like. We have a lot of freedom as to what it's supposed to look like when believers get together for the sake of growing closer to Jesus and closer to each other. And so because we're in this season where most of our traditions are changing and we're trying to think through like, okay, what do we do? I thought I'd work through this exercise a little bit with you. I'd love to work with, through the exercise with you in person and I get your feedback and get your input, but that's not really an option right now. And so I, we did this exercise at the workshop. I've done it with Pastor John now. We've done it with the elders that at an elder retreat we had a couple weeks ago, uh, right, right before all this corona craziness hit. So again, we, we did on one side the commands of God, which are not optional, and on the other side, traditions, which are optional. And so we just came up with a list. I figured I'd show you the list. In fact, I have it. You can't see me. I have, I have it on a whiteboard, but I realize you probably can't, aren't going to be able to see the whiteboard real well. So we're going to get rid of the whiteboard. And I have it on the computer. And uh, those things will just come up as we talk through them. So again, on one side, commands. Not optional. You have to do these things. The Bible says to do them. On the other side, traditions, which are optional. So on the side of biblical commands, here are some of the things that we wrote. Love one another. John 13, 34. Don't neglect meeting together. Hebrews 10, 25. Preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15. Teaching. Colossians 3, 16. Older Christians investing in younger Christians. Mentoring. Titus 2. Baptism, Matthew 28, 20. Communion, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25. Prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Meditate on the God's word, Joshua 1, 8. 
care for the poor, care for the fatherless, care for the widow, care for the foreigner. Zechariah 2, 10, 7, 10, Proverbs 29, 7. Forgive one another, Colossians 3, 13. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Matthew 23, 37. Have unity, Ephesians 4, 3. Sing to the Lord, Psalm 33, 1. Abide in Christ, John 15, 4. Be holy, 1 Peter 1, 15. Everyone using their gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Radical generosity, Luke 6.30, pray for one another for healing. Uh, James 5.14, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, submit to authority. Romans 13.1, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8, equip God's people to do good works. Ephesians 5.8, submit to one another. Ephesians 5.1, confess your sins to God, repent of your sins. James 5.16, make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, let the little children come to Jesus. Matthew 29, or Matthew 19, 14, wash each other's feet. John 13, 14, tongue should have an interpreter. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, talking to someone that offends you. Matthew 18, 15. Again, that's just a short list. And again, it's by no means exhaustive. But it's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list of some of the commands that the, the Bible has for us as the church. So then on the other side of the board, we wrote down our traditions. And again, not that they're bad or that they're not godly or that they're not command, but or not that they're bad or not godly, but they're just not commanded by scripture. And God has given us a lot of freedom, whether we do it, whether we don't, how we do it. So here's some of the list that we had, that we came up with. Dress code, what you wear for church. It's not commanded. In fact, I'm guessing that most of you didn't put on a suit today to sit down and watch Facebook. Uh, I'm guessing that 50% of you are probably in pajamas right now. I'm just, just throwing that out. When and where we meet. The order of service. Does sermon come first? Does music come first? Do we have to do uh, the order of service? Sermons, as in these long sort of monologue like you're listening to right now, things. Sermons. All, pretty much all age-based ministry. Youth ministry, kids ministry, ministry to seniors. Great things, but not commands. Any and all programs now, a lot of times the programs are how we accomplish those commands, but we don't have to do the actual programs. It's not a command. How to baptize, how to do communion, the, the form of worship that we have, whether it's traditional, whether it's contemporary, whether it's a guitar, whether it's a whole band, uh, whether we have a worship leader or not, there's no command to have a worship leader. It could just be all of us singing together. Any audio, visual equipment, instruments, well-produced services. Some churches don't use instruments. Other churches use instruments. It's not a command. It's a tradition. How you sing praise and how you sing. Uh, professionalism in the church. Uh, uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis in their book, uh, Total Church, they said, because most people in the church come from a professional background, we want churches to look like what we're used to. So we make everybody be professional, but it's a tradition. 
Meetings are a tradition. Taking an offering is a tradition. Really, any how-tos, like this is how you have to give, it's tradition. Other than maybe tithing. Paid staff, buildings, outreach events, tradition. Sunday being church day, where kids should be during service. Membership, segregated ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, singles ministry, married ministry. Success being numbers. How many people, if you have a big church, you're a successful church. If you have a lot of money, you're a successful church. If you have not much money and not much people, you're a failure. That's a tradition. All church holidays. Think about that for a second. It never says we have to celebrate Christmas. Never says we have to celebrate Easter. The only thing it really says we have to celebrate is communion. Again, are those good ideas? Absolutely. Repetition, doing the same thing week after week after week. That's tradition. Denominations, tradition. So again, I mean, that's not a complete list, but it's a pretty good list. And maybe in your connect groups, as you're watching this, maybe you can sit down and make your own list and talk through those things. And by the way, I, I wanted to give a shout out to Out of the Boat Guys and the Cast the Net podcast. Uh, they did a podcast all centered around this idea of commands versus traditions. So check that out uh, on the Anchor app and uh, listen to the Cast the Net podcast. Just thought I'd throw them a bone. Uh, but, but to be clear, to be clear, I'm not saying that we have to get rid of any of our traditions. I'm just saying we don't have to do them. We don't have to do those things. And especially right now, because we can't do some of them. I'm saying that as the church experiences change, if those things would change or have changed, it's okay. But here is the problem. So many times we elevate our traditions to the level of commands. Sometimes we even put, place our traditions ahead of God's commands, and that's where we get ourselves into trouble. I'll give you a couple for instances. Easter. The Bible doesn't command us to celebrate it. Do we? Yes. Is it a good idea? Yes. Are we going to celebrate it this year? Yes, although the how is still really up in the air. But can you imagine how bent out of shape people would be if we said, okay, we're just not going to celebrate Easter. We're not going to do Easter this year. I mean, I would be getting phone calls. I would be getting emails. The elders would be sitting down with me and saying like, you really want to do that? That's probably not a good idea. You don't see that command in scripture and, and you don't see them celebrating Easter anywhere in the New Testament. But if we didn't do it, it would be a problem. But Jesus said in John 13, 14 and 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus commanded that. I have set an example for you to do. You should wash one another's feet. 
in the same way, at the same time, to the same people that he commanded to do communion together. But we don't do it. I can count on the number uh, fingers on one hand in the whole 38 years of going to church how many times I've been at a foot washing service. But I don't get phone calls or emails about that. Jesus commanded that if someone sins against you, you should go to that person privately in Matthew 18. How often does that happen? You want to guess how many times people come to complain about something that somebody did? But then I say, well, hey, did you talk to them about it? They haven't. You want to guess how well that command gets lived out? I didn't think so. Don't worry, I'm fine. Dry throat. We, we make a big deal about church being on Sunday. But do we see that command anywhere in Scripture? That church has to be on Sunday? Do you see the early church celebrating church on Sunday? Nope. The only thing that the Bible commands is to have a Sabbath day. A day of rest. Keep it holy. Set it apart. And yet, how well do we do that? Has the tradition surpassed the command? There's plenty of commands for communion. It's funny how churches do. I mean, in Matthew 2.42, they have communion in each other's homes. You see them having communion all, all throughout the New Testament. But... Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Bruce was, was at a church preaching for them, and he wasn't allowed to serve communion. He'd been a pastor for 30-plus years, but he wasn't allowed to serve communion because it didn't fit with their tradition. Commands of the church versus traditions of the church. You know, Jesus actually had something to say about that kind of thing. This is Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing, where you dip your hands in water and then let them drip off. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they've immersed their hands in water. But this is one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. 
Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave the law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is just only one example of many others. Jesus is upset. He said, you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. He said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. You cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. I wonder how often we've been guilty of that. I wonder how often we've elevated our traditions to the level of God's commands. I wonder how often we've committed idolatry with our own church traditions. I wonder how often we've ignored the commands of God all the while clinging to our religious tradition. You know, it's upsetting when things that you know, things that you're used to, it's upsetting when what you know changes. It's upsetting when the way that we've always done things change. Maybe our whole lives have to change. And when it comes to the church right now, I think we're pretty much all there. We don't have our building. We don't have our programs. We don't have our age-based ministry like we usually do. We're changing how we do offering, how we do worship, how we sing, how, uh, the praise, the, the, the instruments that we use. We're changing how we do communion. By the way, communion next week. Grab it, we'll all take it together, even if it's online. How we do events, membership, sermons, it's all changing right now. But so much of the stuff that's changed, so much of what we're missing right now, it's our tradition. The good news is that God has allowed us a great deal of freedom as to what church looks like. The only thing that God said that church has to look like is a group of Christians following the commands of God. As long as we do those things, as long as we follow the commands of God, we'll be the church. We'll continue to grow. We'll thrive. But it's easy. It's easy in times like these to forget to follow those commands. When when our traditional ways of following them just aren't there to just kind of lazily say, well, I guess we can't do those things right now. I, I guess we can't, you know, meet together to encourage each other. We have to practice social distancing. And so we don't even pick up the phone. 
what, what if this is part of God's refining process for us? Part of God's refining process for you and for me? What if this is part of God's refining process for the church? Part of God's plan to push us to be better? What if all of this was a way for God to help make the church better? Us better so that we're becoming the bride? What if part of God's plan in all of this is to help us lay down some traditions that have kept us from fully living out the commands of God? Traditions that we would have never laid down on our own. We just wouldn't. We would have just stuck with it and kept doing it. But now, because of what's going on, we have to lay them down. Maybe part of God's plan was so that we would do that because we wouldn't have any other choice. What if this is part of God's refining process to separate those who just show up to church and check the box that I did my church for the week and those that are really going to be his followers? Because look, right now, it's a whole lot easier to not do church than it was even two weeks ago. It's a whole lot easier to not turn on Facebook or YouTube and watch a service. It's a whole lot easier to not be in contact with people and encouraging one another and, and finding a way to meet together. It's a whole lot easier to fall away right now because there is no box to check. For some people, maybe even some of you, this will be summer vacation from church. But for others, this may be the biggest growth experience of their Christian walk. It may be the time when they really start to live out the commands of the Bible together as the church grows stronger because we don't have the crutch of the building and programs anymore. So we have to do this on our own. We have to do this together. We can't rely just on the pastors and the church to do the programs anymore, to teach our kids anymore. We have to step up now. It may be the time where we really have to get to know what the Bible says so we can really begin to live it out and follow the commands of God so that the world will actually begin to see the church for more than just a building with a bunch of people that think they're good people in it. What if this is what it was going to take for us to become the bride? And God knew it. So what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? Is this going to be a time where you grow in your faith and your Christian walk as you really begin to live out the church and really live out the commands of God? Or is this going to be the thing that you look back and see that's when I stopped going to church. Or that was when 
just the final nail in the coffin of my faith. That that, that was when stop church stopped being important to me. That, that's when I started sliding back into my old ways because the tradition was gone. Because for you, church has been more about tradition than relationship with Jesus Christ. If you can't follow Christ without the tradition, are you really following him? Who is God calling you to be today? How is God calling you to be obedient? I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is time for the church to shine. It is time for us to thrive. It is time for us to be better than we've ever been. It is time for us to rise, church. The question is, will we? Without all our tradition around us and what we're used to and what's normal, will we? It's funny, this week in my personal devotion time, I was reading in John chapter four, Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, but part of the conversation jumped out at me in a new way. This is John chapter four, verses 19 to 24. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Why, why is that your traditional place of worship? While we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship, our tradition. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming, Jesus says, where it won't matter where you worship. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. And then I'll just close with these two last verses that Jesus says to her. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray.